Well, what comes to your mind when you think of your HRBP? What's the HR manager's dream question? Why should we hire you? What do you do in 2021? What are you going to do differently? If you're still scratching your head as I am, this bus talk will be the comb to your scratches, the gel to the itches, the cover to the patches of your career. It may not raise your hair, but calm the head for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HR Talks. Friends, I have a fascinating discussion lined up for you today. It's about everything you wanted to know or ask, but were always hesitant to do so. The questions are designed to make you think and reflect at not just your leadership quotient today, but how it may shape your career tomorrow. So if you are a people manager, an individual contributor, knocking the doors of management or even a senior management leader, this episode is right for you. I've divided the session into four segments. Each will dive deep into an aspect of people management. And to help us decode, I have invited a seasoned global HR leader, career and executive coach, program leader to share an unconstrained point of view on the why, what and how of people management at the workplace. Now, having spent time at Deloitte, Goldman Sachs, Oracle and EY, this person brings a robust understanding, first-hand understanding of cross-cultural trends, people management experiences, insights on career management, and a range of topics on best ways to manage your career in the new normal. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Gopal Ayer. Gopal, great to have you on the show. Pleasure is mine, Ayan. Thank you so much. Excellent. So let's jump in. Now, I've curated some questions from a variety of audiences. Uh, and my audience is largely from the age group of 30, 35 through 50. There are sales managers. There are business development managers. There are leaders, operations, HRBPs as well. I interact a lot because a lot of people management conversations. Senior leaders and clearly there are some youngsters as well. So this the questions will uh, resonate to such an audience. So it will range from from tactical to strategic or even philosophical at times. So there are four sections, human resources, recruitment, developing talent, and you probably end with a light rapid fire section. The idea is to get a straight cut, brutally blunt version of the truth. And people are tired of listening to long drawn, politically correct, sanitized, and no pun intended. I know we need to sanitize. <laughs> sanitized version of uh, well, carefully curated, prepared remarks, which often does not really address the point. So are you all set? Absolutely. All right. Let's uh, jump in to the first section. Hello and welcome to Bus Talk, a podcast about your work-life balance or the lack thereof, where we do simple talk in the world of complex commentary, the life around work and sundry. It's for those who need support in strife, stuck in the traffic of work life, hoping to find a method to the madness, joy in sadness, clarity in confusion and sanity in this commotion. Welcome to Bus Talk. All right, and here we are back with segment number two, and we covered a lot of the questions around how the role of the VPHR would change over the next five, seven years if you're a senior HR professional, how the life would change and so on and so forth. And in this segment, we're gonna talk about recruitment. And we had a few uh, questions answered on recruitment 
in the previous segment and some of them will uh, resonate here as well let's talk about hiring practices let's jump into 2020 where the birth of gig economy not in the literal sense because upwork has been there and whatever we have had contract workers ever since adam and eve but let's talk about gig economy for the mid senior management is it good bad or ugly do you think there is uh, just a time bound passing phase or do you think this is here to stay and it will completely take a different shape size or form in the near future so it's an evolution and and our adoption of gig economy as a country um, in india has been very unique uh, i mean in, in 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 many ways the analogy that i can draw on this is my mom and my dad never used computers in their lives they never knew how to operate a desktop and uh, today my mom is a pro whatsapp user and pro youtube user and and i think that that shows the ability for people to latch on to things that work well for them uh, and what is necessity for them and i think in many ways whatsapp and youtube have become a passing time activity for them the fact that my mom is now also part of uh, her school's uh, reunion group and shares a lot of uh, content through there i think just goes to show that how connected we have become uh, in the world of uh, digital era that that i don't think uh, anyone in the past generations would have been able to do that so gig economy in my view is an outcome of uh, our changing behaviors and and uh, we will adopt a lot more quicker a lot more smarter than the western world who have already been using uh, this this phenomenon uh, as part of traditional contracting or uh, the 1099s as they are known in the us and and really looking at different ways to sell their services more from a skills per se in india i think the the adoption will be slightly different given the fact that we have a unique talent supply uh, demand issue uh, we have a lot of one we have a lot of supply uh, very little demand to to begin with two we have a different set of aspirations within people about what they think about jobs uh, overall and and the entire ecosystem around it to be able to support them for jobs or watch for them to get a full time job versus uh, a part time job and that's also help helping them to de- decide to go for or not go for but then there is also set of population who one are either laid off or on break for various reasons sabbaticals maternity breaks people want to still continue pursuing their careers but they don't want to commit to full time 9 to 5 grind of job or people who are uh, so called in their early retirement uh, have a lot left in them but they they haven't been really able to figure out how they can continue and then this entire phenomenon around juniorizing roles so if a senior leader leaves you don't really replace the uh, role with a senior leader you probably promote someone within and hire someone in the junior ranks vice president sales with 5 years of work experience and i yeah. was like what did we do wrong man <laughs> well i mean i think that also goes to the sh- also goes to show that we have been very creative in the way we have been doing our businesses in the in the last 5 to 10 years compared that to any other traditional methods of getting the business done and i think the 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 fabric of i would say the way we even innovate 
is very unique to that of people in India because I think like the fact that Bangalore is a startup hub, a lot of people come down to Bangalore to start their own startups because the environment is friendly, access to a lot of co-work spaces and all of that. Our focus as a nation to promote a lot more startups is also giving rise to the entire aspect of gig economy and and several such unique aspects that but 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 let me touch upon the cultural aspect of it sure uh, sure oftentimes i've seen especially when it comes to say oems who have contractual staff contract staff there is the badge phenomena that oh you don't have x color badge or you have this color badge and there is this internal almost like a feudal hierarchy that creeps in where they think, well, I am the alpha color badge and you are this low life. I mean, they don't say it literally. And this is all uh, free talk. So I, I'm just trying to get the sentiment across. And and the con- contract staff is traditionally not treated well or treated like you are somewhere you do something. You have limited privileges, whereas I, ha- I have the membership. So I have all the privileges. Uh, and that comes across uh, and it stems with, and I mean, a lot of unpleasant experience, right? Uh, a lot of, and, and so does it not be counterintuitive to the gig economy? How will the cultural aspect of OEM versus contract staff go away? Because there is a huge check segment of the contract staff who's also very keen to move into the other side of the table. They're not comfortable being the vendor uh, as it were, they want to be part of the OEM. So how do you think this will work out in the gig economy? So gig economy is more a phenomenon than only a way of engagement. And I think contracting is one of the ways of uh, engagement with uh, people. So you have freelancers, you have moonlighters, you have contracting staff who work for third-party uh, agencies who come and do your work in your premise, um, uh, or you have these... Um, staff augmentation firms uh, to, to, take, to take care of you as becoming your primary employer and then you get deployed. Um, and, and then, of course, you have blue-collar jobs like Uber, Zomato, Swiggies, and, and several other examples of that. Now, what is what is different in, in, the, in 2020 than what existed? And contracting has been there for the last 25, 30 years or even beyond, I would say. So it's not new. The digitalization or digitization of this entire uh, ways of working is is gonna bring in a totally different outcome this time around. And I think each organization is trying to do their own thing in in being able to tap into this kind of worker. And that's why gig economy, in many ways, is a lot more inclusive than exclusive or elitist versus. Uh, I mean, the aspect of badge that you said. And I think. When you start, so if you if you think about two circles and one big circle and a smaller circle within the uh, circle, in the past, the organizations would have a really large traditional workforce and a smaller peripheral workforce surrounding it. So the 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 circle within the circle will be bigger, and then the the perimeter would be smaller if you really look at it that way. I think that that's going to evolve to a core. Uh, or this core circle being relatively smaller, shrinking, and the peripheral talent growing in most of the organization um, going forward. And when the peripheral talent grows in most of the organization, they become a large portion of your workforce as, uh, as an organization. And if your large portion of workforce don't get the same 
experience that your your general people get then they will stop coming to you so it's going to become an value proposition for organizations to use that as a ways to attract the organize uh, such such workers right and if you think about what's happening today with let, let you spoke about upwork you spoke about sub, several other platforms as well every organization is going to have its own platform tomorrow right so they will not probably go to an upwork and hire people or go to an top coder or hire people while they of course will use them as channel partners but when every organization is trying to create its own unique identity of tapping into talent on gig they have to do something different than what others are doing and it cannot happen without giving them that you know the different class experience i mean if you you, you have to bring them as one uh, set of uh, people that you're part of my entire organizational construct and we really value you look at you at the same lens as we would uh, look at our employees as well and that's a culture shift that will happen gradually and, and and we are seeing a lot of change happening already now having said that the, there will be and this is what is going to decide whether gig will stay with an organization or keep looking for multiple gigs otherwise one after the other in different organizations as well so that discrimination aspect will fade away in many ways because organizations will have to nurture this talent uh more so than ever before because it is an integral part of their workforce strategy and it cannot be a use and throw quote unquote um, right. uh, approach and so the i i'm guessing and you might want to correct me on this the large part of the gig economy workers currently are without employment and so sometimes it's like the mindset could be well as long as i get some work it's fine the moment i find a permanent employment i'll switch over do you see that transitioning to folks who are actively employed full time switch over to the gig economy saying that look uh, i don't necessarily need to get tied to one slot i could be leveraged in multiple ways do you think the shift happening there is still a few years away it's it's a few years away it's a few years away for sure um and i think um, it's it's in many ways also gonna transition very uniquely and i think covid also is going to add quite a bit into it in a, with the fact that in the past there was a big divide or a debate about online working versus offline working when i say remote working versus on premise working right and then white hat changed everything <laughs> well i i think uh, it's it's more to do with the the assumptions that we had about ye has to be in the office and i have to see this person clocking in at 9 am and leaving at 6:30 come before the boss and leave after the boss yeah yeah so that's changed right i mean that's changed for good in many industries which is a good thing and that's going to give rise to acceptance about remote working any which ways within a lot of organizations now when your talent is remote and when your talent is able to get the work done earlier join you earlier can can be more productive has access to skills a lot more better than your traditional talent pool that you would typically hire from a competitor organizations will start shifting their their agenda to look at more available talent to get the work done now when that happens when when acceptance of a lot of organization for gig work gig workforce increases a lot of people will i mean like candidates will have that assurance that okay 
I will have multiple options even within Geek to move from one to another. But that's still, I would say, a couple of years away. It's still evolving in many ways. People still are opting for Geek. At least the major portion of it are opting for Geek because they don't have anything else on their hand. And they haven't really tried their hands on gig working or have with an entrepreneurial mindset. Right. But, yeah. but they can't negotiate salary then. The salary debate in India is a very different one. I think we may need another podcast for it. <laughs> <laughs> You bet. You know, so uh, at a simple level, you know, I keep hearing this uh, in interviews that people say, so how much do you expect? Oh, the, the standard 30% more. Like who decided this 30%? HR Association of India, NASCOM. How did this come about? I, it's a total mystery to me. I'm like, why did you not ask for 70%? And the guy goes, Aise thodi hota hai. So like, then why are you asking 30% is basis what? Which standard? And why not 5% then? So what is your take on this? Uh, give me 30% more. So give me 30% more is a outcome of uh, a mentality that exists probably, unfortunately, that that's become a standard norm today. Right? People of often move jobs for compensation but if compensation becomes the agenda then that's that's a wrong way to uh, approach uh, your career right uh, and that's in a way gonna change and the reason for that is this right now no one told a driver that he would have employed 10 years ago that uh, and you probably paid him 10000 rupees a month hypothetical number that there is something called uber that exists and by going to uber you can not only earn uh, 10,000, but you may eventually even end up earning 30,000 rupees or 50,000 rupees. And when that happened, I don't think any driver today wants to be a personal driver for anyone because the earning potential grossly reduces. And when that starts happening in the broader talent landscape, where people start realizing the potential that exists in gig economy, where you're not tied to a single employer, you can do multiple gigs, dapple between two projects, three projects and gain more money or earn more money and your potential becomes 10x. Of course, it's not going to happen overnight, uh, but it has a potential to grow 10x compared to your average 20 to 30% hike every three to five years. People will start adopting to the economy many which ways. Then it's a different problem that we have is around pricing, right? Which is why gig jobs are not salaried priced. It is more a project price. Like I will pay you this much for the work that you do. It's more outcome focused, right? I mean, when 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 I start thinking about compensation for gig workers, I would think about how much value this person is going to bring in for the duration that he's going to be with me. And he may be playing a role of a CHRO or a CXO. I would need to compensate him for that. And actually, I don't care whether this person has been employed for the last 12 months or not, because I have ascertained the potential that this person has to be able to deliver through the assessments that I've had, and I will pay him for the price, I mean, the price for what he brings onto the table. So that's a very different pricing game that we are talking about than average standard 30% hike conversation. And I think the employment model of working will continue with that same old negotiations and bargains, but there will be a parallel that will stand up, which will be a lot more stronger. And people will suddenly start seeing that hey, these people have ability to work for six months in a year and six months they vacation and go out and they earn whatever they have in the six months itself. Why can't we transition into that as well? And a lot of people typically transition into gig economy for that that comfort uh, and that ability to dabble right and, and so you're what i'm hearing is you're saying is that skills are far more important than career gaps and career gaps don't necessarily translate to lack of performance if if that's an accurate uh, understanding 
why then people offer lesser salaries owing to a gap saying that oh you've not worked for six months one year what have you if the person had 10 units of skills in one year that hasn't become six units it still remains 10 so then why should that person get seven rupees instead of 10 rupees that he pro or she probably deserved what's your thought on that so it's a it's a slightly complex challenge that we have in our articulation articulation abilities i would say and the listening capabilities as well we don't ask questions as to what were you doing in that six months uh, or a one-year period, right? For all you know, this person may be doing something really important for himself, caregiving for that matter. Parents, not well. You have to be there for them, take care of kids. And and I think uh, the lack of empathy for things like these typically leads us to make decisions like hard negotiating and bringing them lower in terms of compensation. But uh, and, and people often also um, agree to that because they feel that it is better than having nothing. But of course, any organization trying to use that as a way to reduce their cost must realize that this person will not remain loyal to, to the entire purpose, right? And is that what you want to create as a culture for yourself is, is something that they need to do soul searching. And in my view, personal view, one should never ding anyone for a break that the person has had for various reasons. And and, and I think it, it should become an acceptable norm for the world that we live in that people should be allowed to take breaks whenever they want because the amount of stress that we are all living in and the kind of conditions that we are all living in it's very difficult to manage everything at one go right i had once written a post on article that if larry ellison bill gates or steve jobs appeared for interviews in india they wouldn't have made the cut <laughs> they would have come what would a world be without them getting hired well they chose to become entrepreneurs <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And so tricky question, if it were, is that I get asked quite often is when recruiters seek salary slips from your current or pre previous organization uh, while you get into the negotiation stage, the person argued that, well, I'm not going to share my personal financial information. You have a budget for the role and I have an opportunity cost. So, and you should applaud me for not divulging or making public my company confidential data. Instead, the response most job seekers get is, this is a process, we need your salary because we need to know whether you're faking it or not, and so on and so forth. So, what is, what's your take on this? Is this the right practice to ask such information versus just focus on the budget available for the role? And if the candidate fits the bill, then so be it. I think uh, going back to the comment that I had made in the earlier uh, session around uh, really asking ourselves, is this a value add or non-value add? And I think uh, overall as a function, HR or talent uh, organization or people organization has to really do away with these processes and make it lean, leaner to cope up to the pace at which the world is moving. I know I gave an idealistic answer. A lot of organizations have started doing that and stopped asking people for salary slips. And in my personal view as well, it doesn't add anything to the overall equation in in rightly said you have the budget if you can afford them or not is a question that you need to ascertain the person's current compensation has no relevance 
if the person is earning more and yet willing to come down to pick up your role who are you to stop it and a lot of times the decisions to not hire someone because he has a compensation that doesn't fit your grid is a bias that we have created within the system so we should remove all these biases and make it a free play it's a conversation that we need to work towards where you have an opportunity the person is interested in this opportunity this is what you can afford to pay this individual the person is okay to come at this compensation transaction is over right i mean i i think that's the leanest process that it can get and we should all focus towards that great let's switch gears to the final part of this segment you know the 60% of this country is below the age of 30 and and so you have the millennial generation and even the gen i slowly entering into the workforce and one of the common threads, and there will be a whole bunch of millennials listening to this uh, podcast, I'm guessing. It's a term which is called FOMO, fear of missing out. So they're like the FOMO generation. Question, and there are a couple of questions tied to it, is that what are they really missing out? What's the fear of missing out and what? And clearly they've become like snowflakes, like they're very easily impacted. Like the other day, this uh, person told me, you know, it was a typical sales conversation where it said, get ready for the battle and we have to, you know, typically uh, old school army general dealing with the troops and, and admitted that's a previous gen conversation. But this person said, look, I will deliver the numbers, but don't get me all wrapped up on uh, battle and war. I don't relate to it at all. And <laughs> like, how else do I motivate you? Like, a, you know, so... So the, this generation is a little snowflakeish, for lack of a better expression, that they get uh, affected a lot quicker and they're always worried about missing out, lower attention spans, always comparing, well, I should have gotten this and so on and so forth. So what advice would you give to the fresher or a you know millennial generation person in 2020 to 2030 phase that there's nothing really to fear that you're going to miss out on something. So I would say, uh, I think the the probability of any organization, even today, uh, of having five generations of people in the workforce is growing big time, right? I think uh, in the next 10 years, we will see millennials all over and gen alphas or gen i's coming in in, in, in the lower ranks or, or picking up roles uh, as, as we speak as well, a lot more normally. Uh, and one of the things that, uh, you rightly brought up was attention span. I think uh, that has also, unfortunately, kind of curtailed our ability to ask questions and really make sure that this is what is needed or this is what had to be worked upon. So my only advice to uh, anyone for that matter is is do not generalize. Every generation has their own pluses and opportunities in terms of what they have to learn. And I have often seen this general divide about a specific generation of people talking about the other generation in a very different way. I think we need to accept the fact that they are all part of our ecosystem today. And we need to, as leaders, we need to learn how to talk to a gen uh, baby boomer and also how to talk to uh, a gen X and gen Y and gen Zs and gen alphas to be able to get the work done. Now for gen Zs and and beyond, I think uh, advice would be to ask questions, seek more insights in terms of what is it that is needed to be done in this. and the other generation, whoever it is, maybe baby boomer or maybe uh, Gen Ys or Gen Zs, should just let them do the job and, and handhold them and coach them, which is why I think coaching as a practice is growing big time uh, 
Uh, and there is a need for us as well because coaching that way is free of all biases. I'm not mentoring. I'm not giving you gyan. I'm not giving you anything. I'll give you support if you ask, but I'm here to ensure that you succeed. And that coaching ability is extremely important for every people manager, every leader to be able to allow the individual to pursue whatever he, she needs to pursue, the way he, she needs to pursue, but also ensure that you prompt them with the right questions and have this ability or coach them to ask better questions, which we don't, right? I mean, I think we always stop people from asking questions. Like at the interviews, what are the classic mistakes you get asked or, or the candidates, job seekers make? The most common wrong questions they ask. Can you share some examples? When can I join? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's a good question, but at the end of the day, uh, it should not be the first question that you ask. Might also sound a little uh, flamboyant, right? I mean, like you're already assuming that you will get the role, or is it confidence? Correct, overconfidence, or whatever. And and then uh, leaving the opportunity on the table of not asking the right questions or better questions, right? I mean. In the past, uh, I mean, I have always asked this question as to tell me, explain a little bit more about the role. Like, why is it important for you? How does it align to your vision and all of that? And I think try to seek more information. We lose that opportunity by asking questions like, uh, how much would I get? Am I going to get 30% hike or, or all of that? Uh, or do I get work from home? Typical standard question. But again, again, I think it's irrelevant in times like these with working from home becoming a bit more normal. And would, would I have on-site opportunities? Again, that's kind of that's kind of irrelevant. I'm very surprised because, you know, when we were growing up, not going to the US uh, was perhaps silly because the what was happening in the late 90s, early 2000s was still to catch up in India. But in 2020 mm. and beyond, the the compare is that much more even there's very little differential i mean you remove the infrastructure and all that notwithstanding but urban lifestyle to urban lifestyle what is available in the us 80 to 90 percent is already available in india so you don't miss that much in fact the purchasing parity might be even higher in india as compared to the us so then having an on-site is i don't know if it's still a big deal as it was in the previous generation a lot of myths that exist we probably have to bust them one by one yes and we should we have that lined up uh, in the subsequent segment but i just like to close out this segment in if you could touch upon your favorite failure and what i mean by that is in you go back so many years which particular failure really yielded into something which you said aha that's why i failed there and I was to attain this. If you can share something, it'd be great. So my favorite failure of my entire career thus far has been the fact that I was almost like I had back an offer in one of the organizations in the Belgium office. Work permit had come, visas had come, tickets were booked. They had made arrangements for me to kind of be there on a particular date with temporary accommodation for a month booked and all of that and the deal falling apart. Uh, as I look back, uh, the last eight years, uh, I feel that has really uh, helped me because if not for that, I would not have gathered as many experiences that I have gathered thus far. And and I think that also reassures me one with one thing that no matter what, we have the potential to make things work for ourselves. I mean, want to not call it as a failure. It, it was an opportunity in disguise. Um, so it, it worked out really well for me beyond that. So uh, there are such turning points in lives that keep coming and you need to really hold yourself up to not give up uh, and continue pushing yourself forward to see what comes 
and maybe a better one. Absolutely. Like I said, the mornings never show the day. How you begin is not how you necessarily end. Oh, yeah. That brings to the end of the this segment and we'll move on to the next segment. This was very absorbing, right? I completely get your point on how recruitment is different in 2020, how the market space itself has changed, how the 20% more salary is literally going to go away, hopefully in the near future. And then asking for confidential salary slips is something which we should look beyond. And then we spend a little time on uh, f- former gen of the millennials. And I think a lot of the insights were very, very helpful. And I'm, I'm sure they will benefit a lot from this. In the next segment, though, we're going to talk about a lot of these difficult hiring managers. You know, job seekers often worry about who's going to be my boss and How do you develop talent, existing talent that's already there in the company? And what do we do about them and how do we manage them and grow them? Because now as you come into mid-management, you can't suddenly catapult into senior management and therefore there's the thick middle, if you will. And so this segment will fascinate these set of people who are stuck in the middle, as it were, for now. All right, then catch you soon. And that's about it for this episode of Bus Talk. I do hope you had a good time listening as much as I had sharing these thoughts with you. And if you did, just scroll below and find other episodes of Bus Talk. Share it with others who might appreciate similar content. Here's the good news though. If you had any specific questions or want me to cover a specific topic which matters to you, send me a note on my email gyanban at gmail.com which is g-y-a-n-b-a-n-n at gmail.com and I'll include them in the subsequent episodes. Or you could leave me a voice message using the link below. Reach me on my social media handles on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Hashtag G-Y-A-N-B-A-N. That's Gyanban. Or you could go on to podpage.com forward slash bustalk. That's B-A-S-T-L-K. So be sure to tune in next week. There's a fascinating episode coming right up. And till then, stay safe, stay well and bring your A-game to work. You were listening to Bus Talk and I'm your host, GB. Peace out.